0: Hello and welcome to the Portfolio Intelligence Podcast. I'm John Bryson, your host and Head of Investment Consulting at John Hancock Investment Management. The goal of this podcast is to help investment professionals deliver better outcomes for their clients and their practice. Topics we'll address include advisor business building ideas, capital market updates, the latest trends in portfolio construction, and investment insights from veteran portfolio managers across our global network. Today is June 11th, 2020, and I'm joined by Emily Rowland and Matt Miskin, our co-chief investment strategists at John Hancock Investment Management. Emily and Matt are the engine behind our quarterly capital markets outlook piece titled Market Intelligence. Emily and Matt, welcome to the call.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, John. All right. It's always great to talk to you two. I want to start by sharing with you an article Uh, that I read in the New York Times uh, earlier this week it's about a Buddhist monk living in Vermont who went off into the woods for a 75-day silent meditation he left in early March and came out in uh, late May and basically asked hey did I miss anything now we know he missed quite a lot but if you were to look at his 401k statement or his investment statement he might conclude that he didn't miss all that much because we've seen uh, a big sell-off but a big rally now, it's been a few weeks since we've last connected. Emily, maybe you can summarize for us how much the market has come back and maybe highlight how it's diverged from the economic growth.
1: Sure, John. It, re- it really has been pretty remarkable. You think about the decline that we saw in equity markets so fast um, from February 19th to March 23rd. Um, the s and p 500 fell about 34 uh, percent so it' was the fastest decline that we have seen um, in you know in, in modern history there and since that March 23rd low uh, markets are actually up about 43 percent um, so we're not quite back to those highs yet but we're getting awfully close and meanwhile the economic backdrop is, has been pretty you know pretty disastrous we've lost over 22 million jobs. Um, in March and April, um, you know, what we're starting to see are some green shoots developing in terms of the economic outlook. And that's really one of the key reasons that the market has done as well as it has. Uh, we all know that markets are, are forward looking um, and, you know, stocks are pricing in a, 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 a you know, a, a good kind of outcome here. Um, they're pricing in, you know, a better, you um, optimism on on the jobs front. And I think certainly last Friday's jobs report was great news in terms of actually adding two and a half million jobs. I think we need to be a little bit careful there as we still have quite a ways to go until the economy heals. Um, But that was, you know, undoubtedly very, very good news. Um, The market's also looking forward to this economic reopening that we're seeing with all 50 states now reopening um, some better news on the, you know, vaccine and, and treatment front that we've seen. Uh, still no no signs yet that we definitely have um, a, a vaccine here, but, but good development's happening as well. And then finally, we've got this kind of big shift in sentiment um, as, as you're seeing investors coming off the sidelines. I mean, we joked before about – Family members that are in, you know, middle school and high school wanting to, you know, know how to invest in the markets. And so we're certainly seeing a lot of participation from the retail side as well um, that's been also fueling this. Um, We've come a long way very, very fast. Um, so as we look forward, we want to be—you know—we want to be careful from a risk management standpoint. Um, but as the Fed and, and as fiscal stimulus continues to be supportive here, which is another element that's absolutely been responsible for pushing markets, we want to continue to engage. Uh, we want to also do that though with a risk management mindset and with a balanced approach.
0: I think that's wise, and you mentioned the Fed, and I certainly want to talk about that. I know their meeting concluded yesterday, and Matt, I'm sure you were tuned in listening to every word. What were you listening for, and what were your key takeaways?
2: The first thing that we were really listening for was the uh, forward guidance. So forward guidance is this powerful tool of monetary policy where the Fed says, this is what we're going to do in the future, And what they said yesterday was that they believe that they're going to keep interest rates at basically zero through 2022. So that forward guidance suggesting that interest rates are going to stay low for that long was the first element we were looking for. And what does this mean for investors? It means that cash returns, so money markets, short-term treasury uh, T-bills, are going to offer very low return potential um, as long as the Fed keeps these interest rates low. So Morningstar just came out with uh, data on flows. Money markets took in another $30 billion net uh, in May in flows. And now cash on the sidelines in money markets has now eclipsed 2008 and stands at $4.7 trillion dollars. So, as the Fed says interest rates are going to remain low, what does that mean for portfolios and investors? That means that that cash balance, that return of cash, is going to be exceptionally low, and there likely is better opportunities um, across a portfolio to allocate that capital. Another thing that I think you know jumped out to us um, was that we do a lot, align, in essence, with the Fed's view that this economy is going to take some time to recover that we are. We believe that it's a, uh, a Nike swoosh uh, in terms of the recovery, meaning, you know, you've got this drop down and then a slow recovery back up to potential GDP growth. Um, so the Fed has actually penciled in in terms of the consensus of the FOMC members, negative negative six point five percent GDP growth for this year. Then next year they're saying five percent um, positive growth, and then three point five for 2022. This suggests that growth reclaims uh, the losses from this year, really at the back half of 2021. Um, so there is, you know, more time likely for this for everything to come back, and that's really one of the key things we were listening to from the Fed. Uh, so that's more of a, that's less of a V recovery uh, in terms of the Fed's expectation, and we are in line with that view that this could take a bit longer uh, for when growth really starts to recover fully uh, from what everything has happened thus far this year.
0: Okay. Hey, let's take a little pivot. Emily, I wanna, we, we heard so far about economic growth in the US. Maybe expand that conversation as we look at the second half of the year and into 21, but make it more of an international focus. What do you see for global economies?
1: So global economies, broadly speaking, are starting to bottom and recover. The challenge for overseas economies, and and we look at the largest non-US developed countries, is that they were in a tougher position than the U.S. coming into this virus-driven recession. Um, So we saw a, you know, kind of a flatlining, a possible bottoming of of PMI data. This is one of our favorite data points, um, Purchasing Managers Indices, it's a monthly survey of purchasing managers at manufacturing firms, and anything above 50 is expansionary, and anything below 50 is contractionary. And while the U.S. economy was really starting to see some strength coming into this, um, overseas the PMI data was fairly lackluster. Um, trying to put in a bottom, but certainly we've had to put the pause button on that narrative. And, and you know, we hope that the worst of it's behind us. We saw a real contraction playing out. We're looking at an environment with areas like Japan, France, Germany, Italy, the UK, all starting to kind of you know, show signs of reacceleration. But we think it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge, especially when you consider the export-oriented nature of a lot of these major non-US and European countries. It's going to be a bit more of a challenge to come back. Um, So that is also one of the reasons that we have preferred leaning into U.S. equities versus non-U.S. equities in our view. We also think a lot about just this, you know, sector composition, um, investing in the U.S. versus non-U.S. equities. Non-U.S. equities are dominated by highly cyclical parts of the market, areas like banks, areas like, you know, industrials, where we do think that you need to see um, a real strong kind of robust rebound off the bottom um, in order to really fully embrace those areas. Um, within the. US it tends to be a higher quality lower beta market um, that's dominated by areas like technology where we think that there's a really strong secular growth story there and we continue to really embrace the quality factor in the. US. So I think this is it, it, this does favor US equities broadly speaking you know over the next 12 months or so.
0: Excellent. So Matt, I want to go back to something that you mentioned. Rates uh, near zero and will probably stay there for an extended period. So in your conversation with advisors, what are you recommending people to consider for their fixed income portfolio if rates are so low?
2: Yeah, I mean, the first part of the discussion is where do you allocate capital across the fixed income curve? So you can choose short maturity or you know kind of limited duration type strategies. You can go to intermediate type strategies, intermediate duration, intermediate maturity, or you can go longer. Our view is that the intermediate part of the curve is the the best uh, kind of point across that spectrum and and the reason why is the short end has very little yield at all. If you do have if you do see opportunities that does have a lot of yields with low, uh, duration or limited maturities to us that suggests that it's a lot of credit risk um, because there's no free lunches right now. Uh, so we would be cautious of that part of the market. If there is yield, if there isn't, uh, then the Treasury market's just suggesting you're going to get you know something like 10 basis points or, or very low return. The intermediate part of the curve looks better to us. You are getting compensated with, with some yield. And the corporate curve is also upward sloping. Um, so this, there is roll down, in essence, from the intermediate part of the curve to the short end because the yields are higher. Um, the long end of the curve to us, you know, while it is a, a good hedge from equities, the long end of the curve typically goes yields go down when, when stocks go down, meaning bond prices actually rise uh, when stocks go down on the longer end of the curve. But we do think there's going to be some volatility there, and we'd, we'd actually prefer the intermediate part of the curve versus the longer end because of that. And so we position the intermediate part of the curve, and then it's about just trying to find income for clients, but on a risk-managed basis. And to us, there's a spectrum between treasury bonds, which are yielding – you know, the treasury bond index is about 50 basis points. That's what it's yielding. Uh, Mortgage-backed securities are yielding about 1.3%, as is the aggregate bond index. That is, you know, of the lowest yields it's ever had in history. So that's a tough place to be. Investment-grade corporates are just about 2.3% right now. Um, That's a decent yield to us. And then high yield is yielding about 6.7%, emerging market debt about 5%. Really what we're focused on, it would be kind of translating this into a a strategy would be kind of like a core plus intermediate strategy where investment grade corporates, mortgage backed securities are the bulk of the portfolio, but then the ability to nibble on a little bit of those higher yielding securities. Yes, they offer, they have more risks in high yield or emerging market debt, but just nibbling on some select opportunities there can get your yield up to something like two and a half 3%. To us, that would be the ideal income stream right now, where you're getting positive income for clients, but not overdoing the the risk budget of the fixed income portfolio. And as I said, you know, kind of highlighting that intermediate part of the curve uh, as a sweet spot across maturities.
0: Great. And Emily, you started uh, in your conversation about Underweight and international and allocating more towards us. Can you go a little bit deeper on that and talk about how people should consider their equity portfolios and maybe touch on the whole value to growth uh, conversation that people are having.
1: Yes, that is a huge topic of conversation and so many investors out there looking for signs that we could start to see the value complex coming back. Um, And we are starting to see some signs of life. One of the key dynamics that we're watching play out in the markets right now is that there has been a broadening in terms of market leadership and participation from various parts of the market. Up until really the last mid-May, really, it was really about owning U.S. growth. It was about owning technology stocks. It was about owning U.S. versus non-U.S. And on the fixed income side, it was about embracing treasuries. Those are really the only trade that really you know, worked well on a, on a relative basis. And since mid-May, we're starting to see some leadership come from the value side. It's early. Um, growth has actually outperformed value year-to-date um, by a wide margin, growth up 9.5%, while value is down 9.5% year-to-date. So there's a huge gap here to fill. But, again, starting to see some signs of life from, from value – as well as moving down in cap. Um, looking year-to-date, um, large-cap core is, is positive, um, but in the core space, mid- and small-cap equities are down 45 and 9%, respectively. Looking across sectors, um, you know, the S&P 500, as of yesterday, basically flat on the year, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and areas like technology really leading up over 12%. But then you've got areas like financials, which are down 14.5% year-to-date. Um, so we're looking you know, right now in terms of a tactical balance in those areas. Um, I would include international equity there as well. And this is especially important for investors who haven't rebalanced and who, who may be overweight, um, large-cap growth or U.S. equities. We think this is an opportunity for, to look for some of these areas, that have been beaten down and have some decent catch-up potential here. This does not mean that we're abandoning growth stocks, though. We continue to have a neutral position on growth versus value. We like quality growth. We think that's, you know, Matt talked about the sweet spot in fixed income. Quality is really the sweet spot for us um, on the equity side. So we're continuing to lean into sectors like technology, um, areas like communication services, um, we also like healthcare, which has that kind of mix of offense and defense within the sector. And then we're embracing a little bit more um, risk, a little bit more cyclicality, um, you know, by 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 thinking about adding some exposure to areas like industrial. So we want to be positioned here again in order to in order to participate in the market, but we also want to be cognizant that some risks do still exist in the economic recovery still has some uncertainty around it. We want to be very balanced here in terms of our positioning um, and really kind of think about how how you know a 60-40 portfolio is, is really the way to approach this market.
0: Great. And maybe to close out the conversation, Matt, uh, I'll go to you. The last time we talked, you had recommended dollar cost averaging in, into a balanced portfolio. How has that worked out for investors and any other closing thoughts you'd have for them today? Well, it, it has worked out uh, pretty well. Um, you know, I think that
2: it's not like we're, we're patting ourselves on the back or, or, you know, having a victory lap on that one. Um, but there are still very you know, time-tested approaches to investing um, that remain very, you know, relevant and, and are showing their merits. And, you know, dollar-cost averaging into a balanced portfolio amidst volatility – is one that we, we continue to see work. Um, you know, you're not going to pinpoint the bottom perfectly or or if, you know, or pinpoint the top if you're trying to trim risk into it, but we really wouldn't try to get that tactical. Um, you know, we think that's going to end up with a drag on returns if you're trying to shift around too quickly here uh, around this, this kind of choppy market. Instead, this dollar cost averaging strategy uh, is one that can be additive to longer-term returns it can, you know, continue to keep the, the kind of uh, risk budget that, um, you know, an investor is looking to have in place because you still have the diversification underlying in that portfolio. Um, so, you know, it, it's something we continue to highlight as, as, a, as a good strategy. And, and, you know, again, when I was talking about the cash balances, $4.7 trillion, you know, it, that's a lot of money that's in cash. And I'm not saying, or we're not saying that, you know, you want to chase equities with that or, you know, high flying stocks, but we do think a balanced portfolio over the next several years will outperform zero, which is what cash is yielding. We continue to believe that strategy holds uh, a lot of merit today uh, given, even though there's a lot of uncertainties in this uh, market and in this environment.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I know Matt and Emily, you both have kids and they are Disney fans like most kids. And it reminds me of uh, the movie Finding Nemo, uh, where Dory, her her mantra is just keep swimming, just keep swimming. You know, there's going to be more volatility, there's going to be more waves in the market. But I think that makes a lot of sense. It's basic, but it makes a lot of sense to just keep dollar-cost averaging into a balanced portfolio, ride out the volatility. So Matt and Emily, always great to talk with you. You always share great insights. So thank you to the audience. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to the Portfolio Intelligence Podcast on iTunes or visit our website, jhinvestments.com, to hear more specifically about market intelligence. You'll hear about Matt and Emily's views on the market. You'll also hear portfolio construction ideas, and business building ideas, and much, much more. Thanks so much for listening to the show. This podcast is being brought to you by John Hancock Investment Management Distributors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker, Are subject to change as market and other conditions warrant and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment strategy discussed will be successful or achieve any particular level of results. Any economic or market performance information is historical and is not indicative of future results and no forecasts are guaranteed. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.